if we look at the economic vibrance of any community and we look at our community and needs, housing, workforce, and cost of living are all directly related and affect everything. Welcome to BizCast Greater Lacrosse, a weekly podcast from Biz News brought to you by Biz News Greater Lacrosse. I am your host and founder, Vicki Markison, and I have a longtime friend with me, Nick Rausch. We've known each other for a long time. Forever. And you are the owner of Rausch Rentals, which is celebrating your 25th anniversary, which you didn't even process until I said, hey, what makes this timely? I know. I, uh, 25 years. I, good thing I don't look older. <laughs> Neither one of us. Never mind the gray hair and the <laughs> white beard. But it's been 25 years. How did you get started? Started even before Mandy and I were, were married, which is crazy. Bought our first owner-occupied duplex. It was an absolute dump. <laughs> needed needed everything, right? Everything. And there was still wet carpet from the last people that lived there from the dog pee. It was awful. And we gutted the whole place and just did a ton of work and really restored this neat old duplex bungalow on the north side. It was part of my north side love and picked up this great old place. And we built a new garage there and it was awesome. So that was a long, long time ago. And Real estate was always something and, and rental property was something I did on the side while I was in other career pursuits, of which there's been a few for different companies. And always this thing that sort of grew until in the not terribly distant past, I decided to go all in on that's just my my primary professional focus now. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. You probably looked at it and said, learned a ton. Oh. So now the next project is going to be much easier. Oh, the learning. Oh, God, I think one of our projects when I was getting going, I, when we bought some other buildings and my mom literally said to me, Vicki, she goes, did you look at these before you bought them? <laughs> she said, because mom was slave labor to come yeah, and paint right. and fix and do. And after putting like every nickel I had in this building and like tons of credit card debt and all the things trying to make it work, we tore the building down. No. Yes. There was like 50 or $60,000 in credit card debt into the building and we tore it down to build a new building because it was just like I was could no longer make a silk hat like it wasn't going to work and so we gave up and tore it down and that was the first new construction project we'd done in the city lacrosse which was an adventure that was a long time ago now and the building's still there a good friend of mine bought it a few years ago and great property over in the Viterbo area and then we actually ended up which went so good we bought the house next door and did the same thing so we made it all work through growth, through a growth mindset versus oh, this isn't going to work. and We're getting clobbered. We figured out a way to make something happen. And I'm guessing that it's uh, it's not that you are taking those profits and go living the high life like you have a vision and you're trying to save some revenue to buy the next oh. property. And there's there this has grown like where did you, so you started with nothing. Yeah. Where are you now? I think today we have 255 units in the greater lacrosse area and plans to develop a bunch more. And I, I think our philosophy has always been we continue to try to reinvest in the community, reinvest in our business as much as we possibly can. I'm, it's just the way I look at things is how can we keep our costs low and structure our business to provide a really awesome value to our tenants who are fantastic people. I still get out doing maintenance myself all the time, right? Because I feel like it's still important for me to be engaged in all those things and know tons of our tenants and they're awesome people. And so the 
it's that virtuous cycle. We feel like the more we can provide great value to our people and treat them with the honor and respect that they deserve and accountability, it's a two-way street for us and for them, that mutual respect relationship and caring for each other works out in the long game. And we have lots of tenants who let, they will move from one property to another because they got a different job somewhere else. So we didn't lose them as a person. They just went from this place to that place. Or we've even had folks go from the one bed and then and they got married or there was the longtime boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And then, you know, the two bed and then they had a kid and then they moved into a three bed. That's happened too. Wow. Yeah. A lot of awesome people. And that kind of goes back to our philosophy of just taking care of each other is how it works out best. Yeah. yeah. And your mom and dad are still involved yes. in the business. So still very much a family business. Oh, yeah. You can meet mom. She'll if she she has a good chance if you went and saw an apartment, mom showed it to you. That's mm-hmm. still the case today. And dad, I still loop him in on maintenance stuff. Dad's old joke, if he can duct tape it or staple it, he's there. <laughs> uh, but dad's awesome. And what's so awesome with my folks continue to be involved, it does a couple of things, right? It, they love to just keep an eye on stuff. It's happening here and, oh, the yard needs this attention or the dumpster mess happened or whatever. And eyes on stuff because mm-hmm. I just can't be everywhere all the time. Yep. And it keeps them so engaged. It keeps them engaged with purpose and what's going on. And they love it. Mom and dad, that's definitely where I got the entrepreneurial slash self-employed gene was from them. Both of them being business owners and longtime folks in the community doing that stuff. So I've always cut from that cloth. I was raised in that environment. So it was just the lens through which I saw the world. Yeah. Whether you're a seasoned chef or just starting your culinary journey, Cooley Region Cooks is your new podcast resource. Discover new techniques. Hear from local culinary heroes who are mastering the art of the kitchen. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 on WIZM. Stream your favorite cooking tips, local chef interviews, and mouth-watering recipes on the WIZM app. Or find us on your favorite podcast platform. Stay updated and engaged by following us on Facebook. Just search Cooley Region Cooks today. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And you're a Central High School graduate. Yes, yes. And Mandy too, correct? Yeah. High school sweethearts. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. But this all comes from you were, you were born and raised here. Yeah. And Across so we've talked about how housing is this driver of the economy and how it has an impact on workforce and cost of living. And so. Yeah, it's a web. Yeah, it's all intertwined. You can't have one without the other. No, no, they're completely related. If we look at the economic vibrance of any community and we look at our community and needs, housing, workforce and cost of living are all directly related and affect everything, right? There's just a reality. I think Mother Teresa said it best, right, is without money, there's no mission, right? Mm -hmm. Just that's the juice it takes to make things happen. And so the question is, how can we come up with that resource in a way that everybody benefits and wins? And that's a big part of kind of my business philosophy is I won't get involved in a deal where somebody has to lose in order for me to win. Like, how can we do something where the neighborhood wins and the community wins and we win, the tenant wins, the people who live there win? Like, how can we do that? And so when I back up and think about that from an economic development perspective, like right now, Everybody, every business in town 
could thrive more if they had more awesome people to do stuff at their business, yeah. whatever it is, whether I'm Gunderson or I'm Quick Trip or I'm the pet's food store. Everybody needs people right now because we've gone through this time from the pandemic where like tons of people have retired out of the workforce, mm. their 401k doing so well. Yep. We've got people because of childcare challenges who have left or somewhat semi-permanently left the workforce, right? And then we've got still people getting re-engaged with the workforce in emergence from all that. And so that puts the big crunch on, on how do the employers fill those voids to do the jobs it takes to thrive. And what I see from a housing perspective in our area and how it relates is every landlord in town who is worth their salt and doing, I love that expression, but it's doing a good job, right? Mm -hmm. Like their people, they essentially have nothing available anywhere. They have zero vacancy, a statistical zero. It's actually like a couple percent, mm -hmm. that statistical zero. Right. And so how do we bring more people in if we don't have somewhere for them to live? So we have to create those housing assets in order for that to occur. and. I have to give, so forgive me, I have to go on a brief tangent that directly relates yep. on what I talk about, and I've talked about this many times on what I call the chain of custody of housing, okay? We talk all the time about, oh, we have all these amazing grads from Western and Viterbo and UW-La Crosse. How do we keep them? And it starts with, they need jobs and a good place to live. Yep. And they need the kind of housing that a recent grad, I call it the young professional, wants to live in. So they need a nice one bed apartment that's close to the stuff they want to do in a part of town that's advantageous to them. So let's say close to downtown, close to restaurants, close to hiking, close to amenities. That's where they want to be, right? Like they're mm -hmm. not a suburban customer yet because it's not where they are in their life. So we need that like first housing to capture them because I'm pretty sure right now we got the jobs. Absolutely. Like right now we got surplus. The jobs. Yes. Surplus of job availability. So we need the place for them to live. And then, you know, they're going to get older. And in a few years, they're going to have boyfriends and they're going to have girlfriends. They're going to have other people in their life. And then they're maybe going to need the two bedroom or they're going to do the one bed for a while or whatever. And then household formation is happening a little later, right? Mm -hmm. Usually number starts with a late 20 or a early 30. And so now that happens. And now maybe they're going to need the two bed for sure. And maybe they're still in a renting situation or they're ready to buy their first house. Mm -hmm. And so they buy that first house. And then, well, time goes on and now they have another one, baby comes or baby number two comes, maybe number three, who knows? And now they need that little bit bigger house. And maybe now they want to make a move from this spot to that spot because they want to be closer to the school that's really important to them or that next driving thing. And then time goes on. Next thing you know, they're empty nesters. They want to downsize into a smaller house, but still with the right amenities for where they're at in their life. Or maybe they want to go back to apartment life. And they don't want to deal with a yard anymore and a roof and a furnace and all the things. Mm -hmm. And time goes on. Maybe now it's the senior housing and then it's nursing care. So here's the thing. If we know that capturing population throughout the context of their lifespan helps them live, work, spend and thrive in a given community, if we can provide all those things, we can check all the boxes on the chain of custody of housing, then we don't lose the person. We get to keep them. It's not, I'm fresh out of college and I decided I was going to go to wherever. Because if we look at La Crosse and why we still live in La Crosse area, this place is beautiful, right? We have 
the rivers and the bluffs and great restaurants and awesome, all the third places that just make lacrosse the vibrant, loving community that it is. And so like we have all kinds of worms on the hook. We catch people and keep people. But if we don't have that housing asset, they're gone, period, end of sentence. And if we don't have that housing asset for them at the right time in their life, lacrosse proper might lose that person to the bedroom communities. For sure. They might lose them to Onalaska. They might lose them to Holman. And nothing against Holman, Onalaska. I love those communities. I developed there too. And just awesome people as well. Again, if we go back to solving some of our lacrosse-based challenges in looking at tax base, cost of living, mm-hmm. touch on that, property taxes, some awesome studies done by my good friend, Carl Green. And he's been beating that drum for so long. And I'm just an evangelist for the study too. Is lacrosse proper has the lowest property tax value per capita of any city of its size in the state of Wisconsin by a margin. And so it's moving those needles that not only helps lacrosse County capture that person because we've got the housing asset, right? Mm-hmm. But it also helps capture them for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then as we improve those mo- and move those needles, then that makes the property tax situation better for everyone. Mm-hmm. We've raised that value per capita. Mm-hmm. We've made that better yeah. for everyone. And, and then who benefits? When the school districts have our money, this, then we keep the families in lacrosse. Now we solve our enrollment challenges, right? Like other than making an assumption about declining enrollment, now we could have positive enrollment as a result of that because we've created the housing asset that people want to live there and not just in certain neighborhoods that we can move that needle throughout the city, different income strata in different places. And there's different answers for different housing solutions that can be very, what's the right phrase? Context sensitive. Yeah. Like where they go and what happens there matters. Yes. So I've jabbered long enough. So that, that's my, my, that was a lot. That's okay. I'll interject. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ken Cooper host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at aroundrivercity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. So tracking with you, just so everyone's tracking, lacrosse, the average value of a home in lacrosse is very, is lower for, compared to other municipalities our size, let's just put it that way. Yep. And so I also look at it as there's tremendous opportunity for the city of La Crosse in terms of we have an aging population that is also demographic of the city of La Crosse. Yep. And aging housing stock. And aging housing yep. stock. And that will change. There will become new owners to these homes. And so if La Crosse can figure out how to become the entry level, that first time affordable new home Mecca, that's the flip that happens, right? So now all of a sudden, right. And so all of a sudden it becomes, this is the place where you can find affordable housing. You're going to have to invest some dollars in updating it and getting it to where they want it to be, which is just another model. Not all homes are turnkey. So anyway, so there's the customer wants. So I'll tell you that. I know. And we can go there next too. So anyway, so to your point, so once if the city of La Crosse can navigate to that, to saying this is where you can buy your first home, then all of a sudden those children are being in the city of La Crosse and that helps with the school district. Yeah. However, now let's go back to where we touched on. So even... From your very first rental to what you're building right now, what type of amenities have been added that just become an expectation? I think that there's a lot of things that are important to the tenant today. And I think 
it's rule number one in location or in real estate is location, location, location. You got to be in the right spot that is advantageous to your customer for what they're looking for. So we've got downtown spots, we've got suburban spots, we've got spots on the river, different places where we've just picked out these different things in, in, in good places. So what do tenants want, right? Small A, affordable. So capital A, affordable is in the industry is capital A, affordable is how we refer to subsidized housing. And then small A, affordable is what I would call workforce housing. Like I've got my full-time job at Quick Trip, which is awesome. I can afford to live in one of Nick's nice apartments. Yes. But I'm not going paycheck broke. So I've got to have um, rent at a price point that fits into a median income that our economy can digest. Yes. Okay. That's got to be true first. And then I want it to be nice. A lot of young professionals, right? They've got an expectation. I'm not going to say that it's wrong. I don't think that it is that they want to live in a nice, clean place that is well-finished, right? So nice cabinetry, nice flooring, light, light fixtures, all the kinds of things. So it looks and feels, I wouldn't say like their parents' house, but it feels nice. Yeah. There's that sense of reward that comes with that sort of first housing thing. So that's got to be there. What else do I have? I got to have parking. I got to have parking. I won't get on my soapbox without all of the rodeos surrounding parking, but I will briefly say that this is Wisconsin and it gets really cold months of the year and people have cars. And so we have to have somewhere for those cars to go in order to not make enemies with our neighbors by covering the streets with cars, right? So we got to have parking, right? Somewhere to go with cars. Got to have somewhere to go with your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got their Christmas crap and their extra luggage. <laughs> it's very important crap, though. Oh, very yes. important stuff. Yes, yes no question. <laughs> they already got their stuff, right? So they need somewhere to go with their stuff. So can I create a space for that stuff to go? Super beneficial as well. And then it's got to be in a safe place too, right? It's got to be in a place where my car's not getting busted into on the daily or on the weekly. I'm not having to deal with crime issues, so on and so forth. It's got to be in a safe place. And safe is a relative word, mm. but it's got to be in that spot because, again, Nick always, I always look, I talk about myself in the third person. It's kind of fun. But I look at things through three lenses, right? I look at things like, well, number one, what is root cause? If something's going wrong, what's the root cause? Anything else is symptom treatment. What's actually sitting underneath all these layers of poo to fix the problem? Number two is that all change comes from suffering, right? Nobody's ever changed anything in their life because stuff was going awesome. It's not until you're getting kicked in the teeth that you're like, maybe I should do something different, myself included, <laughs> all the time. And so then the question becomes is, how great does the suffering need to get in order to institute change? And can I see the early warning signs, like I'm the person who sits at a desk and my back hurts because I sit at a desk all the time. And then 20 years later, I need back surgery because I've been sitting at the desk for 20 years, even though 20 years ago, every time I stood up, it was like, ooh, maybe I should do more yoga or whatever. <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the third is that people do things based on incentives. And incentive isn't always money. It often is, right? But it could be karmic incentive. It could be love. It could be admiration. It could be praise. It could be acceptance, all kinds of things. But inevitably, we do things based on incentives. So coming back to your question, mm -hmm. if I'm not living in a safe place, that has these amenities and is close to the stuff I care about and whatever, I'm going to move somewhere else. I'm going to choose to go somewhere else because I can. Mm -hmm. And with work from home today, and I'll call it the transitive property of modern employment, meaning people can get new jobs pretty easily. Yeah. And resumes aren't as scarred as they used to be by the person changing jobs every two or three years. Very that used true. to be a really painful thing. And now it's the norm. Yes. I can just move. I don't want to be here. 
my stuff got broken into, or this place is too expensive, or this place is a dump, or the neighbors are noisy, I'm out. And the lease term, they're off to the next thing. So we've got to be mindful of that in the assets that we create, both as landlords being responsible for our tenants in the community as best we can, and as a community, and where are we doing that? And I think that there's lots of examples of parts of neighborhoods. Let's all be honest. There's some very challenged neighborhoods in the city of La Crosse mm-hmm. that are also, because I've lived here all my life, have a lot of beauty and character to them as well. Absolutely. Right? And so there's opportunity in those neighborhoods with development projects where we can raise the bar on density, whether that's like townhomes and a higher density for some for sale options, mm-hmm. or that's what I would call medium density, two-story apartment building. Mm-hmm. Help. And I'll go somewhere with this so that it mm-hmm. matters back to our conversation that can help move the needle for those neighborhoods. It moves the needle on taxes. Mm -hmm. Property tax base goes up, which helps everyone. Property tax base goes up, which helps the school district. And then what else does it do? And this is what I think is so important. This is the, this is the emotional aspects of me is also creates roots for that person in the city and in the neighborhood. Okay. Now I live here I like it here. It's three or four blocks to Riverside Park. It's four or five blocks to the co-op, to my favorite restaurant. I can walk to these places, to my favorite other little spots, my favorite coffee shop. I can walk to Jules or the Root Note or Grounded or whatever your spot is, right? Mm-hmm. So many of them yeah. are so awesome. I love our local businesses. Oh my God, do I love our local businesses? You and I <laughs> talk about that so much. Oh, it's so part of what makes lacrosse so awesome is now I have roots. And if I think about that chain of custody of housing, now I've got roots in this neighborhood. And I met my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever in this neighborhood. And we love living here. Now it's time to buy a house. Maybe I will take a chance in that fixer up or down the road. Or somebody's building a really cool project down the road Mm -hmm. of some cool townhomes. And I'm okay with a small yard or whatever. Boom. Now I want to stay here. Oh, we're having a kid. They're going to go to Longfellow. They're going to go to Hamilton or yeah. whatever the school is, right? Yeah. So I create that chain of custody and I've done a few things. One, I've created some workforce housing to help our local employers so that we capture that person. Two, I've created a chain of custody and roots in the community for them to want to stay. And then I've given them a path forward by being mindful of creating the assets that people are looking for at each step of the way. And that creates this virtuous cycle, which solves so many of the things. Now, coming back to Mother Teresa, now there's money for the mission because we're bringing in more property tax revenue and we can fix the roads and we can fix the school and we can build the park and support these awesome things that makes lacrosse such a beautiful place because we've created the resources to make it happen. You can't tax your way to prosperity. Only in any business less, you can't cost cut to profitability. You have to sell stuff. And so we got to create an awesome product. That creates that. And I, my good friend, Marv Wanders loves to say it. it, it and uh, well, all of us landlords, we all know each other to some extent or yep. another and have a good working relationship. Yep. We're not in competition with each other. We're not. Yeah. When vacancy is a statistical zero, we're in competition with other cities is how Marv likes to put it. Mm. Like we're in competition with that person who's fresh out of UW lacrosse. Mm. Are they going to move to lacrosse? Are they going to go to Appleton? Are they going to go to Fond du Lac? Mm-hmm. Are they going to go to Green Bay? Are they going to go to Madison? Are they going to go to Stevens Point, Menominee? Where's that person going to go? And are we giving them every possible reason to want to come here? Yes. And that's where we win. 
Does that make sense? It does make sense. So Marvin yeah. Wanders is with 360. 360 Real Estate Solutions. Yes. Yep, brilliant and, guy. And so he has his share of housing. And so yep. you guys are looking at it of we need to provide the housing that's going to retain the individuals. Yeah. But it's all, again, it gets back to that ecosystem, right? So it's yes. not just about housing because yep. when people have the housing that they want, it's the quality of life that attracts them, yes. the cost of like all of those pieces. It's all intertwined. It all gets back to keeping our great workforce. And we talked about the complexities of building in lacrosse. And you had said that there is it's a misnomer that there isn't space to build in lacrosse. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true. There is available land in the city and it shows up in two forms, right? There's vacant land that I would argue are in good locations. We just got a parcel on the far south side that I think is going to be a great location for what I would call the city of La Crosse. And there's other spots available. And then coupled with that, you know, the good news about some of our challenged neighborhoods is we also have immense redevelopment opportunities that are close to amenities. There's some awesome redevelopment opportunities that I don't know if I could still do it, but you could throw a football into the places that you want to go mm-hmm. that are close to there. Yeah. They're within two or three blocks. Just so, again, today, like livable, bikeable, walkable, awesome. So I think that there's two aspects. There's the open land that's available in different spots. And we're obviously going through a challenging time right now of high interest rates, high cost of labor, high cost of material. The cost of materials is coming down. I think it's going to come down significantly in the next couple of years. We'll get into some of my crystal ball stuff maybe later. But um, so I think that's good news for our community. And then there's the redevelopment opportunities. And I feel like the open land is obviously the lower hanging fruit, right? The less barriers to getting that done. But it's the redevelopment opportunities that I believe can really move the needle, right? Because I've seen it and I've done it um, where this property is condemned. The one next door is falling down. How do we buy these two? Assemble them. And from a property tax perspective and housing perspective, like 10x, 10 times the value was derived as a result of doing that. Like these two combined parcels were maybe worth $100,000 total. Today, there's a million dollar property there. And then there was basically two units of housing. Now there's eight. So we 10x value and we 4x density in a great spot that's close to amenities, right? Like two blocks from Gunderson Health System's door. And there's... I don't think I'm exaggerating to say that there are dozens, if not a hundred opportunities like that in the city. So what's the barrier? That sounds awesome. And there's one more thing before yeah, we get ahead, into barriers. Ahead, please, please. So you're just talking about the economic value, if you will, of doing that project. Oh. But then it's the ripple effect. And we've seen it with facade improvements. Oh, like, yeah. So it's not just that property. Someone sees, oh, that's bright and shiny and I want bright and shiny on my home. And then Look it has the a neighborhood getting yes. and shinier. Yes. So I want to be a part of that. Yes. 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 It's the catalytic effect of redevelopment. Absolutely. Right? Happens time and time again. A bazillion studies that point to if a good thing happens here. Good things tend to happen around the good thing that happened. Yeah. If it's tiny, not so much. But when it's bigger, right, you start to redevelop a half block Mm -hmm. and that's going to get eyeballs and attention Mm -hmm. in a good way. Yes. And so then what is causing those projects not to happen? It's tough, right? Because you've got you got a few things stacked against you to get that to happen. The first is first cost, meaning what does it take to buy the stuff and assemble it? And 
unfortunately, it's we got a couple. This is getting a little weird, so track with me. Mm-hmm. There's a couple layers in lacrosse. We have some special challenges to mm-hmm. do that. One, and and easiest, it's not. We're not Madison. We're not Denver, where the value of what's going to get built is so big that the developer can afford to just go in and buy the stuff, give people all the money and then some to tear it down because we don't garner enough rent here for the things that we do to swallow up that first cost in the project, Mm. unless it's really high density, Mm. like at least three or four stories and it's a half a block or bigger. And we've seen projects like that occur, but they're tough, right? They're tough to make happen. So you've got that first cost. And then along with that, you have the holding cost of a land assembly. If we're coming in as the person to want to do a project, it can take sometimes years to assemble all the houses on a half a block. And so now you're sitting on the holding cost of owning all that stuff, managing it or tearing it down and paying a pilot, which is property tax in lieu. So you're holding all that stuff for so long and it doesn't work, doesn't financially work. And so going back to people do things based incentives, it's easier to redevelop Greenfield or Brownfield on open land. Mm -hmm. It's just easier for that to occur. Yep. So that's a barrier. The second barrier we run into is the NIMBY argument. Okay. The NIMBY, for those that don't know what that acronym means, it means not in my backyard, Mm -hmm. NIMBY. And it happens in all directions. And I'm as guilty as anyone. Everybody's (laughs) guilty of the NIMBY. Why? Because we're humans and we're afraid of change. And sometimes the devil that we know is more comfortable than the possibility of what may occur otherwise. Yeah. So not always, but often. So, and if, and as, a, as humans, we have this automatic reaction. If we don't understand something or we don't know what it is, our automatic, autonomic answer to the question is no. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what we do. So it's dispelling the NIMBY arguments. Yep. Having conversation with the people, conversation with the neighbors. I did a great project up in Alaska. We started a couple of years ago and I came and met with all the neighbors. I invited them over before we even owned the property. And we sat down and I listened for three hours to all the things. And we've tried to and listen to their concerns and wrote them down and talked about how we can do things to make that better. Now, am I saying everything we've done is perfect? No. But did I respond to what they asked for? And when they called me and said, hey, Nick, Stuff off your job site, blew into my yard, come pick it up. No problem. We'll be right there. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Because the mm-hmm. 50 mile an hour winds that day blew some pieces of Tyvek in their yard. Yep. We'll come and do the thing. So we've got to be responsive to those people and hear their concerns and do our best to mitigate those concerns. Mm-hmm. So that's one part of the NIMBY thing. Yep. Another part of the NIMBY thing is, to some extent, we've got to have, I'll call it the political and planning appetite to understand that I know this doesn't feel popular right now but it is the right thing. So we're going to bite off this chunk. We're going to bite off too big a piece of steak a little bit, and we're going to have to chew on it. It's going to take a little while, but we know in the long game, this is the right thing. We know this is the stuff that moves a needle. Yep. And so you've got to mitigate that first cost. I'll talk about how we can, how the community, how the city can work together. Mm -hmm. And they know this, this is not new in the playbook, but these are things that could be tools that we could exercise more. And then we've got to have that political slash planning appetite to want to take that on. And, when the neighbors come to be in support of that greater vision that can and will move the needle. And there's countless examples in all kinds of communities of that happening. Mm-hmm. So we've got to use that information as a case study. Like we don't exist in a vacuum here. All this stuff, everything's been done before. And 
other communities have been, let's say, more progressive in making things like that happen sooner, we can use that information as a test case in helping people understand. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen into my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. So circle back briefly and then we'll move on to the next thing. Oh, what can we do? That land assembly, that's really where the developer in the city working as a partner to help make that happen. Mm -hmm. The city can help with that first cost buy down in the interest of the long term property tax increments. Mm -hmm. We look at things like TIF financing. We look at things like that to be able to figure out ways to offset it. Like interjecting here. So like La Crosse County right now has their acquisition and demolition grant. That's oh, awesome. Right. Yes. So six, I think it's 60,000. Yeah. It depends upon the size of the parcel. Yeah. Yeah. The parcel, but what you're doing and it's that money it's that money. can get used to acquire world. the property yep. and to demolish. So then that reduces that first cost that you're talking about. Correct. Yeah. And then there's ways for bigger assembly to occur if the municipality can get involved. Right. And when you do the math on that return on investment, just going from, let's say, half a dozen really dilapidated homes to a nice two-story medium density apartment building, the return on investment for the community is massive. Like the in total return on investment, like ROI percentage, yep. and, and this isn't just the city, right? So it's the city, the county, the school district, whatever. We're talking like 17% annual ROI. Nikki, uh, uh, Vicky and Nick, could invest in anything that returns 17% annually into forever, we put every penny we had into it. And it's basically a sure bet. If it's guaranteed, yeah. So that's a good deal for the community and for the developer and for the tenant. No one loses in that deal. First cost investment comes back to us in massive fold over time. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's what I see. Yeah. And a lot of times you talked about the assembly that has to happen. And I have a good friend who was running with someone and she says, oh, my gosh, this house is just so awful. Why doesn't someone tear it down? It just so happens that she was running with someone who owned that property. No. But the point is that yeah. then it's a learning opportunity, right? To say, here's why. Yeah. We're assembling all of these pieces. And so the public needs to understand that there may be some things happening behind the scenes to take care of some of these problem problematic properties. Mm -hmm. And it just takes the time to do that. And I've also seen, honestly, and the city knows this too, it's far better to have a private developer trying to make that happen than the city because the price of trying to buy that land, if it's the city trying to do it, oh yeah, goes astronomically it, higher. It does. And then there's also other things that the city runs into when they try to acquire property called Uniform Relocation Act where they're responsible for the people that live there, for their housing and cost of moving and all the things that go along with that, yeah. which can be rippling in cost. Yeah, I just learned that, yeah. So there's ways for those partnerships to happen, but it takes all four, right? It takes time, mm -hmm. it takes money, it takes genuine conversation with the neighbors to help mitigate the NIMBY concerns. And it takes, and this is the linchpin, it takes the political and planning appetite to take on the tough thing, mm -hmm. doing the, let's say, the right thing versus the popular thing. And that's not me throwing rocks. It's just the reality of what goes down. I got compassion for every person at every level in that thing, like taking the hard phone calls. I've taken many. It's tough. And yet, if you know what you're doing is the right thing in the long game, you got to stick to it. Yep. Yeah. 
So the other thing that we wanted, as we're talking about compassion, yeah, is of course housing for the unsheltered is yeah. very is yeah, a hot topic You're right now. Ball to me, okay. I am because, <laughs> as I said, I can't think of a better person to address it because you obviously understand it well from both perspectives, the compassion side and also the housing side. And I've heard many of the rental property owners, some who have said, we took in someone who was unsheltered and the damage to their property was far beyond any sort of security deposit. Yeah. And even more, the ripple, ripple effect, collateral damage, you called it, is that then you have these tenants that did not bargain for this when they moved into the complex. And right. so that causes stress on the other tenants. And so explain it from a property owner perspective. What is the complexity of housing yeah. the unsheltered, the homeless? There's a few things there, right? And I'll start off with there's, there's an axiom that I absolutely love. And, you know, we're in a place today from a lot of things where we like to feel that compassion and kindness is like the most important thing. And I do believe that it is without question of great importance, right? But if compassion and kindness is not tempered with logic and reason, we quickly descend into chaos. And sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is force the issue of personal accountability, okay? And I think any parent can understand, right, that sometimes they do stuff for their kids as an act of love that in the end ends up biting them later. Yes. Like they give them too much. Yes. And then when they want their kid to take responsibility for X, whatever X happens to be, that desire to do that's not there because they've been given too much. Right? There's a pattern of being given too much. For sure. Yes. For sure. And I think when we look at the situation, we've got to take a compassionate approach, but it has to be tempered with logic and reason. And always remembering that people do things based on incentives. That's true. It's built into our DNA. It's true. If you don't think it's true, just for the listener, and I'm saying this with love and compassion for you, if you don't think it's true, then ask yourself, if they stopped paying you to go to your job, would you keep going? And I would venture to guess that most would say no. So always know that's always running in the subtext for all of us. So there's this, this balance, if you will, this purposeful check and balance between kindness and compassion and logic and reason. There's a valuable push and pull. Both are true. Both have value and actually both have love attached to them. Okay, so that's my philosophical look, right? Yes. So how does this look like from a housing perspective? So people understand the nuts and bolts, okay? If I'm the typical landlord in La Crosse and I own, let's say, a few duplexes and maybe a single family home and I'm renting those things out, okay? Mm. I typically, if I go empty for one month out of the year, I'm probably going to break even on my property for the year. Because I only make about 10% of the rent. So if I take in, let's say $1,000, I only make 100 bucks, okay? Mm -hmm. So if I have, a, if I bring someone into my property that the property ends up getting substantially damaged, now I've got a twofold problem. I might go empty for two or three months while Trying I to make repair. repairs. Mm -hmm. And I'm out all the money for the repairs, which can sometimes be in the thousands, you cross plot those two things, you add them together. And now all of a sudden I've got to beneficially operate my property now for three or four years, just at full, just to get back to even with what I lost for my repairs and for my empty time. Okay. So as a result of that, to take on a tenant, 
that could cause substantial damage and you have no recourse in order to get the money back if they do destroy the place. This creates an enormous amount of risk. And that risk is really hard, if not impossible, for the small or even large person to take on. Or if this person ends up causing a huge amount of problems within the thing. Now the neighbors, because everybody's lives are very portable, they choose to break the lease. The neighbors move. They move away because they can. Yes. These things don't sound great. They don't sound nice. And, but they're true. This is a reality of the things that people face on the housing side to be able to accomplish this housing from a private perspective. And if we circle back and go to what can we do to move the needle on what's actually happening? And I always, again, I always mm-hmm. think of things from a root cause. Mm-hmm. What is root cause? You've got two factors that are root cause. One is economics. A lot of the homelessness issue and unsheltered issue comes back to economic challenges. People through the wrong set of circumstances fell down on their luck and are in a super hard place where their problem is not a desire to do better. Their problem isn't a desire to make change in their own life. It's how can they get enough of an economic foothold to be able to take agency of their own life and make a difference for Mm -hmm. themselves. There's that, right? And then you've got the giant issue that is mental health and drug addiction. And that, of course, playing an enormous role. And that also being a role for the person who actually wants help because you're down in your luck and things are going bad and you're Mm self-medicating, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's pick your addiction, right? Mm-hmm. You love to throw the rock at addiction. And it's, that's just happening because of sadness. That's mm-hmm. happening because of depression. That's happening because of anxiety. That's happening because of these other problems. Mm-hmm. And if we can mitigate those other problems, suddenly th- those things can go away. So we've got two things there, right? The economic stuff and then the mental health and drug addiction pieces. And so it, it takes an approach to these things, I think, to make it better that does our best and nothing's going to be perfect, that does our best to address both of those things being true. We cannot make the, what I would call, I guess I would call, we can't make the foolish assumption that just putting people in housing is going to solve the problem. Mm. It won't. It can't because all these other things will still persist for that person if we don't do the rest of the things. Now, do I agree that it's impossible for somebody to engage in stable employment and but I would say becoming a uh, benefit to society if they're not housed, of course, you got mm-hmm. housing. That's yes. just, it's part of the big three. You got to have food, shelter, water, right? Yeah. Those have got to be true. Yep. And what's next? And so I look at it like there's just, there's buckets of good possibility here in that we can hand out, so it's all carrots and sticks. Mm-hmm. Carrots and sticks. We can hand out carrots like you would not believe. We have tons of job opportunity. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Like all of the companies, whether it's the landscaper, the customer service, the restaurant, the holy cow, you cannot talk to a business owner in any one of those workforce sectors that says we don't need people. Doesn't exist. I agree. They all need people. So we have the carrot of a beneficial employment. I think we have the possibility to create some housing assets. And we also, again, have to have that, like that, this is, so that's the like the compassionate side of all this wonderful opportunity for those that want that help and need it. Yeah. And it's not a handout, it's a hand up. It's the go, let's go back to the Bible. 
It's still, let's teach a man to fish. Don't give a man a fish because mm-hmm. then you have to give a man a fish forever. Mm-hmm. But if you teach a man to fish, he eats for life. Yes. And there's plenty of fish in our sea. There is. If we teach him to fish. Yes. And then we have to temper that with logic and reason that says there's got to be sticks. It's showing up clean and sober. It's showing up to your job. It's, it's taking care of your housing. It's doing the things that let you keep that hand up until you can get a hand on your own. And we've got to have the, the appetite to hand out the sticks to offset the benefit of the carrots. And as humans, we all need both. You mm-hmm. need both. Like mm-hmm. I got plenty of sticks growing up, still get them on occasion, doing <laughs> dumb stuff, Wasn't thinking about that or mm, that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. The sticks come out. Life has sticks. So it's tempering that compassion and logic and reason together to come up with a solution that we can make the carrots happen. And also there's penalty for the things not being upheld and mm-hmm. the things that can actually move the needle. And we can't sanction it and make it okay for what's happening now to continue to persist mm-hmm. because the detrimental effects on our community are too great. And people do things based on incentives. They'll just choose to move. People will choose to move and move away. And that's not okay for all of us. Let's help these pe- let's help people in a beneficial way. Yes. I hope that wasn't too verbose. I think I said a lot of words there. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go into the last question. Yeah, yeah. What makes you passionate about what you do? Oh my gosh. There's a bunch of fun stuff about what I do. One, I get to work with a lot of amazing people whether it's people that directly work for Routes Rentals and helping them, my office manager, amazing human being, like helping her grow her career, other people that work for us, helping them grow their career and continue to grow in what they do. And we hire a ton of contractors too, which we work with largely the same people for most of our projects. And I feel like they're all employees. I know them all. I know, you know, their names and their kids' names and who's getting married and what's going on and all the things. And the benefit that comes with creating that and the benefit to our our whole economy here, right? I'm building things and spending money with as many local people as I possibly can. And they're spending money locally and helping stuff happen here. So I think for me, if I'm summing it down, it's I get the most out of life by creating, helping create opportunities for others to flourish. It's always been like my life purpose to try to live an inspired life and inspire others to what's possible for them. Like I get the most out of seeing whomever succeed in what they do. And to see that there is, it's not a zero sum game. Oh my God, there is an endless possibility for us all to create so much awesome stuff in our lives. And it's not that hard to win. Just try hard. Like it's okay to do hard things. It's okay to get beat up and get back in the arena, right? Yeah. And I think finding that and doing that and helping other people find that within themselves, that's what I enjoy the most. And you're very good at it too. Yeah, so, thanks for that. Yeah. Too kind. So you have been listening to BizCast Greater Lacrosse with my guest, the owner of Roush Rental, Nick Roush. 25 years in business. Oh. You got to hear all of his wisdom. Thank you for sharing it with us. And we will catch you next week. Thanks. Hi, I'm Ken Cooper, host of the podcast Around River City. I've got an invitation for you to listen in to my conversations with the people that make it so cool to live in and around River City. Subscribe at AroundRiverCity.com or anywhere you get your podcasts.